0: Well, once again, welcome to the Compass Church. Interesting song called Happiness, and tonight we're going to be unpacking a little bit of the difference between happiness versus joy. And I think that's an interesting song if you're one of those guys that gets into, what's the meaning of the song? You know, that one is just about—I think it's true for all of us. The harder we try to make ourselves happy, the more we hype things up and push for that, um, the easier it is to be let down. And the more we just kind of go with life and enjoy what happens. You know, think back to the things that you think were the happiest times in your life. It probably was when you weren't trying that hard. And I think it's pretty similar with joy. We're going to learn tonight that you can't make yourself joyful even though uh, we're commanded. So a special welcome to our friends over at the 95th Street campus. I'm glad that you guys are with us this weekend. And uh, for you guys here at Hobson, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's an, awesome, it's an awesome time over there. And just, you know, another batch of people with the Compass Church. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself before we get started. My name is Eric Swanson. I'm the junior high director here, so I get to work with Dan, the director of student ministries, and uh, especially with you know junior high or sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and we just have a blast. So um, it's been a busy summer for student ministries. We're doing Wednesday night hangouts. Uh, I was able to be a part of a few of those different trips that you saw pictures of earlier. And uh, besides that, just have, have a ton of fun. I brought some pictures of my kids. They're going to put up on the screen. Uh, I've been married for almost nine years to my beautiful wife Cherry. This is our kids. Paige is in the middle. Uh, she's six, and then my, my twin sons, Everett and Kyler, they're five years old, and uh, they're just amazing. We have a ton of fun, so um, I wanted to tell you bit about myself. So that's them. Uh, we got to do a little bit of vacation this summer also, which is really cool. Um, we actually got to spend a few days with um, the Vanderwalls, Dan and his wife, our student ministries director. It's really one of those things, you know, where he kind of mentioned it to me, like, hey, you guys, you want to, you know, want to line up our vacation and hang out together? And I didn't really want to, but he's my boss, so... I was like, yeah, sure, we'll go, and uh, no, it was an awesome, awesome time hanging out. It was a great, great week, Um, but I realized, speaking of happiness, you know, people find happiness uh, in in different ways, and so uh, what I didn't realize about Dan, Dan and his wife is for them, happiness is different than it is for us, so for some people, uh, happiness is like taking a nap, and so what you gotta learn about Dan and Renee is every time they put their kids down for a nap, they take a nap too, and uh This is, they didn't, Dan didn't even know I took this picture. This is one night, I think it's like 8.30. We put our kids down and we're like, hey, we're going to play games and hang out and make coffee and stuff like that. And the next thing I know, they are passed out on the couch. And so, you know, other people find, you know, happiness in taking pictures of people who fall asleep when they're supposed to be hanging out. So uh, we went ahead and took a picture with them. (laughs) And then, and then they woke up and we're like, hey, how's it going? So. That, that was some of our fun. Everybody has happiness in different ways. Another thing about me is I love I love to laugh. I love to make people laugh. I laugh really loud. I laugh really hard. The later at night it gets, the louder I laugh. So that's gotten me in trouble before. And, you know, places you're supposed to be quiet. Somebody's making me laugh, and I, I just can't help myself. But I, I just love, I love to laugh. Good, strong belly laugh, you know? And, and I love making other people laugh. Dan's actually a great guy to make laugh. He's got an awesome laugh. So people are always commenting, like, hey, when you laugh, I can't help but laugh. Which is probably true for a lot of us. It's kind of like crying. You know, when somebody else is laughing, you kind of want to laugh with them. And so uh, students are like, your laugh is so loud and so crazy, and I don't really mean it to be. I just enjoy it, and if I'm going to laugh, I'm going to go ahead and have it. Um, but, you know, think of the most exciting, bubbly, happy person you know. They're not always happy. You guys know this is true about you. There's times where you're happy, times where you're not as happy, and— um, I'm definitely not always, always laughing, so I'll tell you a quick story. It's kind of embarrassing, but um, we did an event here at the Compass Church about six months ago, and it was a youth workers event. So uh, this room was packed full, seven or eight hundred youth workers, um, you know, pastors and volunteers from different churches, and then uh, there was speakers invited from all over the country. One of the speakers is like a, like a, a hero of mine. His name is Doug Fields. He is like the student ministry guru. He's written tons of books. He speaks at all the conferences. When I was in college, we were reading his books, and we called them textbooks, because it was like, this is how to do student ministry. And so I've just thought of this guy, and looked up to this guy, and read this guy, and listened to this guy for years, and he was coming here to speak. So I was, I was pretty excited when he got here. They said, hey, Eric, Doug Fields is going to need a ride to the airport after he's done speaking. Do you think you could find somebody to take him? And I was like, I- I'll take him, you know, I get to spend about an hour in the car with this guy, that'll be amazing, I can ask him questions, we'll be hanging out, and I'll take my picture with him like I did with Dan, and uh, this is going to be great. And so they introduced me to him, and, uh, and I was like, I didn't know what to say, I just, hey, Doug, nice to meet you, and uh, he says, hey, just so you know, I've got, he's, he's from California, but he says I got a really short window of when I can get off this stage and to the airport. So he's like, he told me the times, and it was like 45 minutes or so. And I was like, that's, that's pretty tight, and you're supposed to be there early. But uh, I'll, I'll make it happen. So I had my car literally backed up to the door. Cherry and I were both going to go. Uh, we had his luggage in the trunk, and, you know, the door opened, and he got off the stage. He didn't even stay for the rest of the conference. He had to book it out. What he said was his, his uh, daughter was a senior, and it was like her very last volleyball game, and he had promised her that he would be there. And I was like, I'm going to get you. To that airport, no problem. And so so we get in, he gets off the stage, we're driving, boom, I'm in the left lane, I'm going like eighty-five miles an hour, and it was just like the best time of my life. He sat in the back because Cherry went and he's just that kind of a guy. He's like, No, you sit in the front seat. So I'm like looking over my shoulder, driving really fast, and you know, this is awesome, and he's really nice and we're hanging out and having a great time and he's asking about our family and we're talking about ministry and it's like everything I would hope it would be. Until I'm still in the left hand lane, going like eighty-five miles an hour, and there's that fork in the road that you gotta be in the right hand lane to go to two ninety four to get up to the airport. And, uh, and I just blew right past it. And I didn't really notice it until like the minute it happened. And Cherry was in the passenger seat and she also realized it. But Doug had no idea because he's from California. It was awesome. <laughs> and so all of a sudden we get really quiet. You know, we're kind of looking at each other and I'm getting all nervous. I didn't know what, I was like, well, I've got to tell him. You know, we're, we're going to be turning around. And so uh, he got, he, before I could say anything, he was like, is everything okay up there? I feel like, you know, all of a sudden we stopped hanging out. And I said, well, we, we may have just missed our exit. And in my mind, I'm like, we definitely missed our exit. And so as soon as you miss the fork, it's like standstill traffic, because now you're heading straight into Chicago, and the next exit's only a few miles up, and we can't even get to it. And so I'm just apologizing, and he's trying to be nice, but you could tell he's like, oh man, I, you know, I promised my daughter. And uh, so we finally get to the next exit, and we take the first one we can, and we're like in a neighborhood. It's one of those exits where you can get off, but it's not like, you know, your regular easy on, easy out type of thing. So we're pulling our phones out and trying trying to figure out where to get around to get back on the interstate. He's getting more nervous. I'm sweating. I'm embarrassed. I'm angry at myself. At this moment, I'm definitely not happy and laughing, okay? And so we finally get back on the interstate, and boom, we're going as fast as we can. I'm like, all right, Mr. Fields, we are going to get you to the airport. I'm apologizing. He's trying to stay cool. We see the sign, you know, 294 right lane. So I get in the right lane, and we're coming up to this exit, and I'm like, man, this is a small exit for such a big road. But I was like, it said right lane. I am not going to miss my exit twice. So I take the first right again, and boom, we're in another weird neighborhood that I've never been. <laughs> we're taking the phone out. We're trying to figure it out. We can't. It took us forever to get back on the interstate. At this time, I'm like, oh, he might he might miss his flight. I'm gonna make him you know like lie to his daughter. I'm like this is this I, I was definitely not happy and laughing in that moment as much as I love to laugh. I was I was just like I didn't know what to say and he didn't know what to say. He's trying to be nice, but you could tell he is really frustrated. He's like, what kind of idiot did they give me to drive me to the airport? But he was trying to be you know Mr. Nice Christian speaker guy, so he's trying to keep his witness and all in the back seat. And uh, so we finally get back on the interstate, and we're cruising, and he's calling the airport to make sure his flight, he's like, we're, I'm like crossing my fingers, like, I hope he's got a delay. I, and he's like, no, it looks like it's right on time. I'm like, oh, no. So we finally get him to the airport. We're apologizing. He just like leaves the door open and runs, you know, no goodbye, because he's already late for his flight. And um, we come back to the church, and I, I told Cherry, I said, hey, I am so upset at myself. I feel like so, so stupid, you know, and I'm so embarrassed. I said, you can't tell Dan. You can't tell anyone, Okay. And she thought it was really funny. She's making fun of me in the car, you know. And I was like, you just, I said, because the conference is still going on. So we came straight back to church and and I said, we're just going to walk in and just, hey, we got them to the airport. You know, that's all there is to it. And as soon as we walk in, like three members of our team are just standing by the door smiling at me. And Dan's like, how did it go getting done to the airport? And I was like, how do you know? And, and he said, Doug actually called the guy from the conference to make sure he, he could apologize in case he, was, he felt like he was mean to you. I said, he, he should have been a lot more mean. I got to tell you the whole story. So, uh, man, that whole night, I tell you, as much as I love to laugh, and I'm a happy, bubbly guy, I was not happy and laughing that night. It was like one of the worst nights of my life. I couldn't sleep. And so finally, like the middle of the night, and we're still not sleeping because Cherry's still making fun of me, and I'm still upset about it. Finally, I realized it's over. You know, I cannot control it. It's done. I feel bad about it. Yes, I'm an idiot, but I finally let go of it, and I started to see how funny it was, and we, laugh. we laughed for like an hour, like shaking, shaking my gut, just dying till it hurt laughing because it was just so embarrassing. So there, anyways, the point is there's, there's times in everybody's life that we're happy and we're unhappy, whether you're scared or confused or sad or lonely or upset or all the different things that can make us unhappy. You guys, you guys know that in your life. There's an easy example from mine. But the interesting thing we're going to learn tonight is um, we're commanded to be joyful. Okay? And the apostle Paul writes that in First Thessalonians. He writes real simple, one Bible verse. In fact you can memorize it. It says, always be joyful. Okay? So everybody say always be joyful. Okay, you just memorize a Bible verse aren't, aren't you proud of yourselves? So you can go you can go tell your you know, brag about it, I memorize a Bible verse. you sound really holy when you do that, so it's really simple, but that you know he doesn't say, "I hope that you find joy in your life, um, be joyful as much as possible." He says, "Always be joyful, like imperative, a command, and I read that, and I think, I like to be joyful, but i 'm not always joyful that's almost impossible that's a tough one. what's really tough about it it's one of those Commands in Scripture where God tells us to do, what, do something, but we can't do it on our own. I believe that you cannot make yourself joyful, okay? But we see that to rejoice is a command. So if you want, if you got your notes, you want to write that down. To rejoice is a command. So we got to figure out how to do that. But it's hard. We can't do it on our own. God says, I want you to be joyful, but you cannot make yourself joyful. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between happiness and joy, Because happiness, you know, we've all felt it. We've all missed it. The song talked about it. Um, It feels like it comes and goes. But happiness is an emotion. And joy joy is is, kind of hard to describe. You ever thought about it? It's... Everybody kind of knows, oh yeah, I know what joy means, but if you had to put words to it, it's hard to describe. Most people, when they describe joy, use the word happiness, but they're actually quite a bit different. Happiness is an emotion, and it's, it's based on circumstances. And we can't, we can only control circumstances so much. And so we're going to be happy, and we're going to be unhappy. And I'm really glad that God didn't say be happy always, because that is impossible, because you can't control everything, and there will be things that you don't enjoy, and so you won't always be happy. And that's why it's a little bit better that he said be joyful. But joy is more than happiness. It's different. It's deeper. Joy is—it's uh, not an emotion. It's like an attitude. Joy is like uh, a state of mind. Like you set your mind to be joyful. Um, joy is a fruit of the spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, it's in there. It's something that we get um, from relationship with Christ. And uh, sometimes I even think, I wonder if Satan is happy if we're happy as long as we're not joyful. Do you think about that? Like in America, we talk about, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which to me, that puts a lot of pressure on Americans. You know, like, you have a right to be happy, son. Go do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm having a terrible day. I'm a bad American. You know, this isn't right. Uh, But we we claim that as a God-given right that we should be, or at least pursue, happiness. But you can't always be happy, Um, but God says we should always be joyful. And I wonder if Satan says, hey, go and pursue happiness. Run after it as hard as you can. Do everything you can to make yourself happy. Because at the end of the day, after you do that, you won't experience God's joy. And I think Satan would love that. But there's a big difference between happiness and joy. I also think it's interesting that the things that make you happy changes As time goes by, you know, the things that make you happy today are probably not the same things that'll make you happy tomorrow. There's a few examples I thought of. I mean, one of them is driving... Think about when you're 16, you get the keys to the car, you don't care where you're going or who is with you, you're driving. And that's like the greatest moment of your life. Fast forward, you know, once you're like working and if you've ever had to commute, then you've learned uh, such a thing as road rage, right? Totally the opposite. If, if you have kids, you've probably learned such a thing as chauffeur service. And, and it's like, I don't want to drive, I don't want to go there, I don't want to pick them up, and it's like the thing that made you really happy when you're 16 doesn't anymore. Um, going to school, you know? I've got kids just starting school, and they love it. They can't wait to go to school. Every day is like the best day of their life. The first day of school is really exciting, you know, and then we take pictures, and it's, it's awesome. I always want to call my daughter in from kindergarten so I can hang out with her if I'm home, and uh, she doesn't want to stay home. I was like, whoa, she's the bad American, you know? Like, I couldn't wait to go to school. By the time you were a senior in high school, there's such a thing as hooky, and the thing that made you happy, like going to school is the thing that ruins your life, and you can't wait for summer or a snow day and things like that. Uh, Uh, Napping. If I tell my little kids to take a nap, it's like the worst part of the day, right? As you get older, some point in your life, you cannot wait to take a nap. Just ask Dan, okay? There's a whole bunch of—you know, it's just really interesting that even the things that make you happy, they change as you go. But God, who gives you joy, never changes. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more. So if you've got a Bible, um, take it out of the pew, open up your iPad, whatever you've got, um, open up to— Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. If you've got the Pew Bible, it is page 914. 914. If you don't have a Bible, borrow from your neighbor. Um, you know, you guys can you can share whatever it is. But we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. And Paul who wrote to the Thessalonians, be joyful always, he writes to a different church in in the book of Philippians, and he tells them the same command, but luckily for us, he gives us a little bit more to work with, a little bit more context, a little bit more of the secret of how can we actually do this command that sounds so hard. Uh, as you're opening up to Philippians four, let me tell you a little bit about Philippians. It's a short book, it's only four chapters. So So, if you thought it was cool to memorize a verse, you should read the book of Philippians this week. You could probably do it tonight before you go to sleep. Then you could tell all your friends, I memorized the verse and I read a whole book of Bible this weekend. I'm just like, I'm good, okay? So, I always tell students, like, little books so they can go tell their parents, I read a whole book of the Bible. So, I I think everybody should do that. So, uh, anyways... It's a small book, but Paul uses the word joy, or a form of it like rejoice, 16 times. Now That's a lot. That's more than most books of the Bible, uh, and it's a really, really short book. The whole book, the theme is joy, how to be joyous. And he's writing to Christian people, and he's saying, as a Christian, you should have joy in your life. And he's going to tell, tell us a little bit of how to do that. The other theme of the book is it's only 104 verses, short book. He uses Jesus' name, Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus, different things like that, 51 times. I just think that's like, it's like every other verse. 104 verses, he uses Jesus' name 51 times. And I just think there's a real connection, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, of joy and the theme of joy versus the theme of Jesus Christ. And the two go hand in hand. And so Paul's going to teach us how how to have joy. So the first thing is that to rejoice is a command, okay? And the second thing is that to rejoice is a choice. So if you want to write that down in your notes, to rejoice is a choice. In fact, I want you guys, just make sure everybody's awake, I want you to say that with me, okay? One, two, three. To rejoice is a choice. I can remember anything that rhymes, so I was hoping that would stick for you guys, okay? Open up to Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to start in verse 4. And these are verses that if you've come to church very long or been a Christ follower for a long time, you've probably heard these verses before, but they are so powerful And Paul's going to help us understand how we can be joyful always. Which, you know, that sounds like if I could have that, sign me up. And he's going to tell us how we can do it. So here's what he says. Philippians 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So look back at verse 4. He says, always be full of joy. Same thing he said in his other letter. But luckily, he goes on a little bit. So always be full of joy. Again, it's a command. Um, But then he says, in the Lord. And really, the key is in the Lord. That because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, that we can have joy all the time. The idea that if you ask him to forgive you for your sins and you give him your life, he will forgive you for your sins. And you know that he loves you. And you know that you get to go to heaven and, like, everything else you could ask for pales in comparison to that. And he says you can have joy in Jesus Christ alone. And I believe God offers a joy that doesn't, you know, change with your circumstances. And that's a powerful thing. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never given him your life and accepted his forgiveness, then you have not experienced that joy. And that's an amazing thing. If you have, if you say I'm a Christ follower, but I don't always have joy, then I want to look a little bit more about what it says. But really what Paul's saying is to rejoice is a choice. Earlier in this book, in chapter one, he's talking about some of the things going on in his life that probably made him unhappy, that, you know, you would think don't bring him joy. And as he's talking about it, he says, yet I rejoice and I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. It's, you can really see that deliberate, conscious, purposeful decision that he says, I choose joy because of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on, I choose joy because of Jesus Christ. So to rejoice is a choice. And really, for Paul, if there was like one dude that wouldn't have joy in his life, it was Paul. Okay? As Paul's writing the book of Philippians, you know, and it's all about Jesus and all about joy, he's in prison. He's in prison because he's been teaching Jesus, okay? He's being persecuted. He writes about how someday they may kill him. He writes about how I wish I could come visit you, but he's in prison. As he's in prison, people are using his imprisonment to make themselves great and everything like that. And it's stuff that would really, really rub me the wrong way. And probably you too. And probably Paul too. He never says, I'm really happy about this. He says, yet I have joy. Okay, joy is a choice. We see Paul choose it. It's just a cool book to see where he's at when he writes it. Versus what he says to people to be encouraged. So joy is a choice. And the other thing is, Jesus talks about this choice. To, re, to just choose to have joy. You know, we talked about how joy is an attitude. And joy is like a state of mind that you set your mind to it. And Jesus talked about this. I, I just want to read you one verse. This is when Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. It's in John chapter 16. And he says this, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Okay? I've told you this so you may have peace in me. And then he says this. And maybe you've heard this verse before. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. And I love that word, take heart. I looked up this verse in a lot of different translations of the Bible, because who says take heart? Like, nobody. Nobody says that anymore. Um, And so, you know, Jesus, (laughs) who are you talking about? You know? But um, most every single version uses take heart, because it's like its own phrase. It's hard to, like, you know, put something else in. But if you're going to try and describe what it means to, to take heart, you'd probably say, like, cheer up or um, be joyful, rejoice, okay? What he's saying is you will have junk in your life. You'll have trials. You'll have sorrows, okay? You'll have things that rob you of joy or could rob you of joy, but you can have joy because I've overcome the world. And like Paul says, in Jesus Christ, we can always be full of joy. And I just think that's awesome. Guys, if you've never decided, I'm going to choose joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, then you're missing out on a powerful, supernatural joy that only God can offer because of what Jesus has done for you. And that's an awesome thing, okay? I mentioned the trials and sorrows, and, and, and if I had to talk about joy robbers, things that can rob you of joy real easy, there's, you know, you can make a, a hundred things on a list. If I tried to break it down to three things, I'd say number one, sin. You know, the idea that sin separates us from God. It's because of our sin that we needed Jesus to come and die for us and forgive us for our sins. It's our sin that won't let us get into heaven without Jesus' blood paying the price for that. And, and even as believers, it's our sin that becomes a barrier. It's our sin that when we become conscious of, it's like, oh now I can't pray for three days. And I gotta wait for a while before God cools down and I can apologize. You know it, it, it tears us away from God. And when we let that sin stay in our life, that is gonna rob us of our joy. Now we'll never be perfect, and we'll always mess up, but if we can just say, okay, I sinned, but I'm going to come back to God because he loves me, and Jesus has already said he'll forgive me, we can experience God's joy. Sin, the other two I would say regret and worry, and they're a little bit similar. I, I would kind of call regret like a, a worry about the past. Something that you just can't let go of, that you can't forgive yourself about, that you can't stop thinking about. Kind of like me taking Doug Fields to the airport. Okay, Uh, it might even be a sin that you ask God for forgiveness for, but you haven't forgiven yourself for, and that is just eating at you, and it is robbing you of having joy in Jesus Christ because you're just you're just torn up about it. Worry is the same thing, but in the future, it's it's being anxious and overly concerned and worrying about something. Sometimes you can control it, sometimes you can't control it, but it is taking up your thoughts. It is eating. your life, and it is robbing you of your joy. And worry is the one that Paul actually uh, specifically points out. If you go back to Philippians, and we left off in verse 6, here's what Paul says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's the secret sauce. He said, you're supposed to be joyful all the time, and that's really hard to do it. You can only do it because of Jesus Christ. And then here's the secret. Stop worrying and start praying. Basically, Paul would say, whatever you've got on your worry list, I worry about my kids, I worry about my job, I worry about paying the mortgage, I worry about a million different things, some I can control, some I can't control. And Paul says, take everything off your worry list and put it on your prayer list. And say, God, I just— I want you to help me with this. I trust you because you're smarter than me anyways and I'm just going to pray about it. And instead of spending time worrying about it, I'm going to spend time praying about it. And look what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What we see from Paul is that to rejoice is to surrender. Okay, To rejoice is a command and that's tough. To rejoice is a choice and that's on us and it's not easy. But also to rejoice is to surrender. The idea that when we give it to God then He can give us his joy, but not until we're willing to let go of it. And that's powerful. And he says you've got to give everything to God, okay? So what I want you to uh, either write down or remember is that Paul says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. But Paul, you know, like my job, like three people were gone this week, and I think I'm next in the list. Paul would say, worry about nothing, pray about everything. But Paul, Paul, you know, like my kids at college and they used to be home and now I don't know who their friends are. and Worry about nothing, pray about everything. And that's not easy, but that's the secret sauce of saying, God, I'm going to give it to you, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to praise you. You see what he says, how he says that in verse 6? Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything That we can understand His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Man, if we can just get better at worrying about nothing and praying about everything, we'll have a lot more joy. Because we're always gonna have joy robbers, things that rob us of our joy. But if we can learn to give them to God, he'll give us a supernatural joy. And if you've been a Christian for a while and you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've talked to a bunch of people the last few months as I've as I've worked on, you know, what joy is and what we're going to learn tonight from God's word, and a lot of people have said, "Man, it's just it's a supernatural thing. It's it's hard to explain, but I've experienced it." And I've talked to people that said my circumstances didn't change, but God gave me joy in that moment. Here's a great example from my life. This is about probably a year ago or a little over a year ago. It's the middle of the night, the whole house is asleep. Except for me. And it's like 2 in the morning, and I'm up, and all I can think about is my cute little kids. You know, I showed them the, the picture. And, uh, you know, they're innocent and they're adorable, and they're fun, and I, all I can think of is they're going to grow up in this horrible world, this dark place. They're going to go to school and learn a bunch of words that I didn't want them to learn. You know, they're going to get hurt, and and, and this world is so horrible, and why do I even have children, and bring them into this horrible place, and just worried about them, And, and I mean, I was, I was sobbing like a little sissy, okay? It was, Cherry has no idea. I don't know how many other guys do that. Like, when their wife's asleep, they stay awake, and they sob like a sissy, but I'm one of those guys, okay? And that's all I could think of, and I was really upset about it, and I was like, what do I do? How do I fix this? You know, how do I teach them? How do, you know, I don't, I, I, I can't. They're going to they're get older and that's the end of it. And, you know, everybody, every dad's like, I wish my little girl could be five forever, but it's not going to happen. So I just c- couldn't get over that. And I'm, this is a powerful moment, but it was like I heard God speak to me. Not an audible voice. You know, he didn't wake Cherry up, but uh, it was like God said right to me, don't you trust me? Because here's the thing. I love that God has a plan for my life. I've got some favorite verses about that. And I love teaching about that. And I get to teach high schoolers and junior highers all the time. And I'm constantly telling them, God has a plan for your life. Get excited. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He's got the best plan. Get on board with God's plan for your life. And it's like God said, don't you think I have a plan for your kid's life? Don't you think, you know, I can bless them and I can use them? Man, and that just broke me. And all I could think of was probably a couple years before that, we were at our church, and we stood on stage, and we dedicated our children to God. And you know, the church clapped, and the pastor prayed, and um, we had the whole ceremony. And we wanted to mean it, but it was like God was speaking to me that night, and he said, you never really gave me your kids, did you? You did the ceremony thing, but in your heart, you never surrendered them to me. And I thought, man, God, God's smarter than me. He's way more in control than me. He loves my kids more than me. He's a better dad than me. You know, I've got to stop worrying about it and just say, God, these are yours, and you watch over them, and I'll do my best to help. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I went from sobbing like a little sissy (laughs) to experiencing God's joy. And I started to get excited that God has a plan for my kids, too, not just people that are 12 years old and up, okay? Uh, And I couldn't wait to see, okay, I wish they could be five forever, but they won't, so what are they going to do when they get older? You know, how is God going to work in their life and show him, show them his love and and use them, and I got excited about that. And and God can give us his supernatural joy, even though our circumstances don't change when we're willing to surrender it, surrender every area of our life to him. So I guess here's my challenge, is if you've never come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, accepted his forgiveness, and said, God, I give you my life, then you can't know that joy. But you can make that decision tonight. And you can say, God, I want to follow you, and I give you my life and he'll say, I forgive you for your sins, and I love you, and you get to go to heaven, and he'll give you a supernatural joy here on earth that people can't know without God. And as Christ followers, so many of us are cranky or crabby or angry, and, and we're always going to have those emotions and things going on in our life, but are you someone that experiences God's joy always, like, like God said we should? If you're not, then I want you to work on worrying about nothing and praying about everything. But I think here's the key. When we go to pray— it's not as simple as, all right, God, I need help with this, and please bless my job, and I'll see you tomorrow. Instead of just saying, please, 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 we need to say, praise, praise, praise. When Paul says, you know, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, I think that prayer, when that moment, needs to say something about who God is and how awesome he is and sing his praises. And what I would really recommend is if you've got a big-time joy robber, a big-time worry in your life, that you... Praise God in his strengths, especially in God's strengths where you're weak. If it's a financial thing, you can say, God, I praise you that you created everything, that you own the whole world and everything in it, and you promise to provide. And instead of just saying, God, please help me, please give me more, please watch over me, you just praise God for a while. And as you do that, he will give you his joy because you're going to realize God is bigger and God is more in control and God is more loving and, and, and all those things who God is. Praise God in his strengths, but especially in the areas where you're weak. And that's when we say, God, I'm just going to let go of this. So my challenge to you is, if you're a Christ follower, is there an area in your life that you have not yet surrender to God. Because to rejoice is to surrender. We said at the beginning, we can't make ourselves joyful. You could go the rest of your life and say, okay, what can I do for myself to make myself joyful? And I can go buy a latte or a new pair of shoes or hang out with my friends and do all the things that make me happy, but that may not make, make me joyful. So I've got to surrender every area of my life, like Paul said, to God and say, God, I love you and I praise you and I trust you. And then God will give us his joy. And he says, the peace Guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. So, I want you guys to be able to identify one area in your life. Now, some of you guys are like, I've got three, boom, top of my head. I already knew it as soon as you started talking. Three things that I need to work on surrendering to God, and I know I'm not getting any peace, okay? Um, I would say that the area in your life where you have the least amount of joy is probably the area where you've surrendered the least to God. Now, if you're like me, I didn't even know I had that in my life. It was like God had to tell me. And so we're going to have a moment here where we can pray between you and God. I want to give you a moment for you to pray. And if you've already identified that area in your life that you need to surrender to God, I just want to give you a moment to do that in your own heart like I was able to do and say, God, I want to surrender this to you. God, thank you for who you are. God, you are huge and you are awesome and I trust you and I want to give this to you. Please give me your joy. Help me to stop worrying about it and just give it to you. Maybe you need to pray, God, show me if I have that area. For me, I, I, didn't, I wasn't really thinking about it. And God said, you idiot, this is your thing. And man, it was such an awesome moment for me. And we need to daily do that so that those joy robbers don't creep into our life and steal our joy. Because God will give us a supernatural joy when we're able to surrender every area of our life to him. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then I'm going to leave it quiet for a minute. And I want each of us to just spend that minute praying to God. If you need to confess it, confess it. If you need to say, please, you know, be God in this area, just I want to give you an opportunity for that area in your life to surrender it, and we're going to ask that God gives us his awesome joy. Let me pray, and then we're going to leave it quiet so you guys can have a moment with God. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this weekend to talk about joy. Thank you for the joy that you give us in Jesus Christ, God, that you are amazing. You love us more than we understand and you offer us a supernatural joy. God, we know that we'll not always be happy. We know that our circumstances change. But God, today we proclaim that you are the God of joy and we want to experience the joy that passes our understanding. So God, I pray that you help each of us to be able to surrender our whole life to you and to trust you and worry about nothing, but instead pray about everything. So we, now we praise you for who you are. And I pray that you'll minister through your spirit to all of our hearts.